Montana is the Italy of the New World. Montana is God's Italy. Montana is the Italy of the people. It's the real Italy. Italy is Montana. Montana, the Italy of God. Yes, like Italy, only different. Hello and welcome to The Right Question, a radio program and podcast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. The Right Question is supported in part by Humanities Montana and members of Montana Public Radio, and by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. I'm Lauren Korn, speaking today with poet Michael Earl Craig, the author of Iggy Horse. Through word association and a philosophical reference of and reverence for art and film, this collection sees the poet and the book speakers reflecting on their lives and on death. Lest you think this collection or this conversation heading in a dark direction, rest assured, my conversation with Earl is full of levity and laughter. Talk of cowboy songs, genre, castles in Italy, and the wind in Livingston, Montana. I was able to snag this conversation with Earl while he was in Missoula for the 2023 Montana Book Festival. Michael Earl Craig is from Dayton, Ohio, home of The Gas Mask and The Mood Ring. He is the author of Iggy Horse, Woods and Clouds Interchangeable, Talkativeness, and Thin Kimono, all published by Wave Poetry. He's also the author of Yes Master and Can You Relax in My House, both published by Fence Books. He lives in Montana, where he makes his living as a farrier. He was the 2015 through 2017 Poet Laureate of Montana. Earl, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to The Right Question. Oh, thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm going to just start off with a a very blunt question. Earl, who or what is Iggy Horse? Uh, Iggy Horse. Um, Well, so with... With uh, every time I'm putting together a book, I'll have a long list of potential book titles, and it'll change. You know, over a year's period, I'll pull certain uh, title options off the list, add other ones. Most of them, almost always, it'll be a, a line, a title of a poem, or a piece of a sentence in somewhere in the book. So I had a long list replacing pulling things off, adding, subtracting over maybe a year, year and a half period of time. And Iggy Horse landed on there as an exception to that. It, it appears, it appeared nowhere in the book. And I just, it just, I liked it. it there's something, it's something it, about it. It came to mind, jotted it down, put it on the list. And what I found interesting is over over the next six or eight months, while other titles came off the list that initially I thought were much better, Iggy Horse just kept rising. It was on the in the top three for for a long time. It never came out of that area. So I don't know, I don't know what that all means. The last thing I'll say about the title is only later did I decide to write a poem called Iggy Horse. So that that's 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 not something I've done in the past where I'll have a book title and then write a poem called that later. So there is a a short poem in the book called Icky Horse, but the title just kept winning. It kept uh, winning out over these other 15 or 18 options. And so I went with it. That's funny. I would have, you know, I think as readers, we might presume that you've chosen this poem to to become the title 
poem right. of the collection. It's interesting to hear that it actually happened in reverse. Yeah. So one more thing on that. That, yeah. that um <clears throat> So I've always resisted the idea of title poems for 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 my books. Yeah. I might have uh, people. Ex- I think people expect they'll flip through the book and find the quote title poem, and they expect it to be this ambitious, important, <laughs> larger poem in a book, maybe. That, but so for me, I've, that's why I've always pulled fragments out of lines. I look at the the title. One thing a title has to do is sit like a, a canopy and an umbrella over the collection tonally. There usually is some tonal thing that it does. But I have always resisted the title poem. So when I decided I would try to write the Nagy Horse poem, I... I wanted it to be shorter and a little bit more, just a little more elusive and and keep it on the shorter side. I definitely didn't want it to be something that someone could try to point to and say, this is the the engine of the book. Well, I was going to ask you to read this titular poem, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to resist even calling it that. I was going to ask you to read Iggy Horse later in our conversation. Yeah. Let's read it now, if you okay. don't mind. All right. Uh, Iggy Horse. A movement glimpsed in a roar chorus. Something seen between trunks. We shouldn't call the sunlight dappled. The time for that is over. Up the yellow hill, way up the hill, toward the orchard. Thank you. I'm going to pivot a little bit. I'm sure you've received this question before, and I'm wondering what insights ferrying gives you on the world, and even further, how that has influenced your poetry apart from horses becoming a topic within Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, okay, so the first part of that is... How ferrying influences your view of the world. Well, so I think for... I still don't know how to answer that. I think for a long time I felt it doesn't. I had this idea that these two things were totally separate. I also had for a long time, I believed that, you know, the regionalism, I wasn't very interested in regionalism. I I didn't really consider myself a Montana poet, certainly not when I had only been here, you know, three, four, five, eight, nine years, but I've been (laughs) in Montana now for 30 years. Um, But so with the shoeing, the horseshoeing, I don't really know um, how it influences me, but the all the things that I do not do in my life because I work outdoors with horses certainly must be having an influence on who I am as a person, as a writer, even as a reader. Maybe what the, what those things are, I don't I don't really know. Um, but I do know when I check in with friends who are busy at universities or doing other things it pretty quickly becomes apparent. We have, you know, we, we're doing real different things with our days. How to measure that, I don't know. A lot of writers in general, poets too, they say that much of the writing process happens off the page. You're ruminating on ideas. Maybe that's where the shoeing comes into play. Are you are you thinking through poems when you're doing your work outdoors? Um, I... I, I don't think so. I mean, every once in a while, I'll go over to the truck and I'll write something down. But I really do mean not. It's not very often, and part of that is because I have, 
usually an apprentice, a person working with me. So that, that's, that's basically a student situation. Then I have the owners, maybe a trainer. Then there are the animals, the horses. So it's not like I'm in a field by myself and it's just quiet, bucolic, and, I'm, and I've got all this downtime. It's more <laughs> like working in a busy restaurant at, at slam time quite often. So, um, so no, I don't think so. Um, but thinking about writing and writing are two totally different things. And so I, the idea time, if I have an idea for a poem and I make a note while I'm driving or at a, at, while I'm shooing or something, that doesn't always translate into something interesting in a poem. Usually I have to be in the act of writing, which is a process of exploration using language. And so I don't know how much of it is, w would happen at work. You know, I'm not sure. Um, it doesn't seem like it does. Huh. Can I say that not, not, it doesn't happen at all? No, but. Not as often as one might think. And whenever I catch myself thinking too much about writing, I get uh, very, I can get depressed thinking about what I haven't done, what I'm not doing, who I am not as a person or a writer. I don't think of any of that stuff while I'm writing, while I'm alone at a desk or wherever I happen to be writing and I'm really involved in a poem, all of those things are gone. So they're two separate things to me, thinking about writing and writing. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't want to linger too much longer on it, but you made a point at which you said, you know, you, you're either writing at a desk or you're writing somewhere else. Do you usually just write at a desk or are you writing, are you choosing, you know, after work to take a notepad into the field or outside in an, in an exterior space and doing that writing? I'm curious about how the writing space affects the way and what you're writing about. Yeah, sometimes I write in a castle. Let's talk about this castle, <laughs> Earl, because, uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk about specifically where this collection came together because you you thank the Civitella Ranieri Foundation in your acknowledgments. And this foundation awards a six-week writing residency to writers and composers and visual artists. Um, tell me about that experience for you. It seemed pretty pivotal to this collection coming together. Yeah, um, so it was... Uh, probably four or five years ago, I opened an email, and it it was from the the Chivitella Ranieri Foundation, and uh, I I they basically said you've been uh, nominated. You don't you don't have this residency yet. You've been nominated to come in it to Italy, all all expenses paid, and live in a five hundred plus year old castle. <laughs> And I thought it was a joke. I mean, I, I honestly scrolled immediately, scrolled through all the details to just see if one of my friend's, you know, names was at the bottom laugh. It's like a joke. Yeah. And um, then I went and did a Google search to see if this was a real place and up came the pictures of this castle. So, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I've never traveled anywhere in my life for six weeks um, I ne had never been to Italy and that's exactly, exactly what it was. Um, I went, it, it took a little while to actually have the trip happen because of some things that were going on. COVID was one of them and some other things that happened. So a couple of years before I was able to go fall of 21, I went, uh, it was the half of September and all of October living in a castle. And I also thought, 
that it would be renovated inside. It would have some sheetrock and maybe a <laughs> shared bathroom. I might have a roommate. Uh, and when I got there, they took me upstairs into this corner, like a third floor of, of corner with a turret. My bathroom was in the turret. My shower was circular, was round. You know, I was in. So I had rooms on both sides of the turret on a corner of the castle overlooking um, the landscape. I mean, it was rural. It was not. Wow, yeah. So it was, it was stunning that you could have shot a film in my room without changing any of the furniture or the artwork. I mean, it was all old stuff, and it was insane. So um, <laughs> back to what you were asking me about how, um, do I normally Where, write right. at a desk? Typically, yeah, some, some place like that sitting down. I was really worried I would not be able to write there. I was super worried I would get there and be revealed as a total fraud, this person who didn't produce anything or get anything done, couldn't get in the groove, however you want to put it. And um, that was the case for a couple of days, jet lag and then just being stunned by the building. It would be two in the morning and I couldn't sleep and I'd be walking around in my slippers in this old castle, chandeliers, swords and shields on the wall, all these crazy artwork, um, owls, bats, all, you know, the, the, the whole, the castle grounds completely intoxicating. And then also being, feeling physically defeated a little bit by the jet lag. So it did take me three or four days. And I, during that period, I was like, nothing's happening. But that, that's all it took, three or four days. And I clicked in. And so a, a lot of this book written in that castle, and then the things that weren't written in the castle revised. I came back with completely kind of fresh eyes for the 28 or 30 poems that had been written prior to that, and I was just on a roll. So that whole fall, the, the Thanksgiving, Christmas, through the winter, that castle energy transformed the book that I had. So that's why I say in the back of the book that um, the book wouldn't exist if it, you know, without them, something else would have happened. It would have been later and it would have been vastly different. So I'd say maybe about 15 of these poems were written in the, in the castle. In the castle. Yeah. Castle energy is a phrase I want to just bandy about for the rest of my life. <laughs> castle energy. I've got that castle energy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like it if you read a poem in the collection that sort of goes back and forth in a really fun way between Montana and Italy. And it is a uh, pep talk to self eating salad at airport. Is that the one? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Pep talk to self eating salad at airport. And this is the return flight. They're coming home. Um, <laughs> Montana is the Italy of the new world. Montana is God's Italy. Montana is the Italy of the people. It's the real Italy. Italy is Montana. Montana, the Italy of God. Yes, like Italy, only different. Earl, I'm wondering if your experience in Italy changed the way, and, and this poem might be proof positive of this, if your experience in Italy changed the way that you view Montana and your life here. Mm, I think I think a little bit. Um, my first morning there, I woke up and I heard gunshots and dogs barking. And what I learned is there were certain days of the week where the local people could hunt and they were bird hunting with these bird dogs. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was 
different. I mean, open the castle window, look into the courtyard, fog, that first morning, very foggy, beautiful fog, couldn't really see everything very well, big cypress trees, you know, poking through the fog, and then the sound of shotguns and bird dogs barking. So um, what I thought is Italy was, I didn't expect things that are, I, that those things happen to me here. I mean, I wake up in where I live in the Shields Valley, dogs and guns and four-wheelers and loud pickup trucks and stuff. So that was strange. That first thing was a, a, a similarity coming back, back at me, a Montana thing. Um, and, but then later I, I, I started to realize, I thought, I thought Italy was so exotic and living in a castle was, was, was that. But what I, after my, the fellows there, when the more I talked to them about where I live, later I've come to realize that where I, I live is sort of like a castle to them, not literally a castle, but, um, most people were living in cities and some of them had great little apartments, but in in Istanbul or or where, wherever they were from, um, one friend in particular, we spent a lot of time comparing notes about Turkey and um, and uh, and Montana. So I think it made me appreciate the fact that I do I, I have this this crazy unique uh, place that I am living in. So maybe I don't need to go to a castle. I have a kind of castle in the Shields Valley. You can harness a different kind of castle energy in Livingston. Yeah, it's not 500 years old, <laughs> my house. <laughs> well, if you think of the natural world that you're surrounded by, yeah, it definitely yeah, is. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually recently traveled to Livingston and I was uh, probably unnecessarily so, but I was surprised by the amount of wind in oh, Livingston. It's windy, yeah. How does the wind affect you in Livingston? Wind, the wind is, uh, is big. The wind is a big factor and drives. I've been in Livingston for a long time, and um, I don't get used to the wind. A lot of people, you would think that you'd get used to it. I'm probably more used to it, but when things are flying through the air and I can't think straight, and or you, you're at the gas station and you have your door almost ripped off when you're trying to get out of the pickup truck or the vehicle, the wind, or really beautiful, sunny, mild temperature, mild days, and you want to go outside and do something, but it's so windy you're kept inside, not because of rain or snow or something like that, but because of the wind. So wind is... Uh... You're listening to a conversation with poet Michael Earl Craig. I'm Lauren Korn. This episode of The Right Question is supported by Elk River Books in Livingston, Montana, offering new, used, and rare books with frequent author readings in their lineup of events offered each season. A full calendar and online shopping can be found at elkriverbooks.com. Do you ever think about a book project? I'm going to write a book yeah. towards this idea. Or is it I'm sitting down to write whatever poem comes out, and then at the end of a certain amount of time, I'm going to collect those poems? Yeah, yeah. So usually it's that. The, 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 the latter. I'm just, I consider it a, like a... I look at assembling a book like the way when artist friends of mine, painters will hang a show. Mm -hmm. 
and what I love about what I'm trying to to learn from them is a lot of times they're they're going to have a show on May thir- May 28th or something and they don't have those paintings ready yet mm-hmm. and you meet them on the street and there's a little bit of panic you know they've got a <laughs> they've got a bagel in one yeah. hand and they're jingling their keys and they're like yeah I've, I've got this show coming up and too and, much coffee and yeah. too much coffee and you realize that they have a deadline and then they're going to work like like they're being dropped in the maze. They're going to see what happens. They're producing these individual pieces and they're hanging a show. So the idea that every poem in a book needs to be what I call a wall hanger. And when I say a wall hanger, I mean like this, this piece of art that, ha- that everyone can individually, it stands on its own. And they, they really, it's ambitious. It's, it's daring. It's brilliant, you know. I've never, I, I don't have that pressure. I do not allow that pressure. I, I just don't even think about that. So I like the idea of having lesser poems, less ambitious poems, what I call stepping stone poems. So that if a person were to be going through the book, they're on a smaller rock trying to step out onto this bigger rock. And then they're going to go to a couple smaller rocks and then they might get to the larger rock and they're only halfway across the river. So the... um so the hanging of the show helps me because then I don't have to sit there and think, am I going to love every single poem in this book when I'm 75 or when I look back? Is it, am I going to, I don't, I don't look at, I don't have that, try not to have any of that pressure. I actually, I do think about, because I know I have a lot of friend, poet friends who do that. That's what they always do. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I think it's kind of, well, you know, maybe not always, but quite often they're working on a project. And, and I think... Oh, that sounds really interesting. I want to, I should try that. I want to try that. But then I don't. I also think a lot about writing fiction, short stories, write a novel. I think about that a lot. Um, and it, it hasn't happened yet. But not so much this book, but in Woods and Clouds Interchangeable, the last book, there, there, there were, there was a, um, a handful, maybe, um, I don't know the, the poem count, but 15 or 18 of these, these skinny poems and they were the who was poems and so i had a couple restrictions the lines all had to be four syllables long and then i would start with a famous or well-known could be a computer like deep blue it could be a puppet like king friday it could be you know an, an artist um, or, or a famous person, politician. but So that was sort of an attempt at writing a, a whole book of those poems. Mm-hmm. And I got to a spot with those where I just felt like I had done enough of those. And I, um, so, they, so they, they were interspersed in that book. Um, so, and that's not exactly a project, but, but sort of, and I, the last poem in that book, Briskly Jerked Rugs, is 20 pieces. They're all the same line count. They're all working off word lists and re- repeating certain key lines. Line one is repeated in line seven, and line two is repeated in line eight. And so there's a little bit of a like a nerdy wor- nerdy game that I'm trying <laughs> to get going there. Um, but it doesn't... I, I, yeah, I have not, I have not landed on the, the, the perfect project yet. I'm not saying never though, because why not? It seems like it could be interesting. Yeah. And it seems to me though, that like a project book with setting that kind of, I'm going to say lofty, but maybe that's not true, but setting a lofty goal, like a project book right. might constrain you 
constrain your imagination in ways that, you know, if you are someone who is just writing when you're writing. Yeah. And something comes out or you're trying to like block an impulse to write about something because it's not towards this project that might be detrimental to your process. Yeah. And so far, that's what I would say. That's the camp I fall into. I like uh, if I write a longer, maybe it's more um, narrative or, or a poem or describing a painting. Usually when I sit down again to work, I... I'm, I don't even think about it, but I notice that I'll go, I'll write a, a handful of shorter, tighter lyric poems that don't really, that they just don't go, they don't go anywhere near that other poem that was the last poem. So there's sort of a, I don't, I'm not saying I get bored with one, but, but a little bit, you know, you do one thing and then swing back again and do something else. And if I, um, I have, okay, I have ideas for project books. I've had ideas, and I'm not going to say what one of them is. Oh, bummer. Does that mean it's it's in process and you're working towards it? Yeah. Uh, maybe. Maybe, but but I, I think, well, this is an idea that I have for this book, but it's different than the actual writing process. Now, I'm not saying people can't have an idea, and then they then they get into it, and they clearly do some great writing. I'm not saying that. At all, so maybe it'll happen. But um, so far, they're just ideas. I'll be driving along and I'll be thinking about about these. I, for for example, I've wanted to write a, a country album for a, a long time, like twelve or fourteen country songs, bringing me as the poet to the to the table, not yeah. not trying to 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 um to write you know the the music the of classic it. country song. But what happens if I just have that in the back of my mind, and they would be poems. They would be poem poem songs, maybe, so they could land in a book. But also, I would I would I've often thought about this for many years. Write a country album, and try to find somebody to uh, to to make it. But I but it just remains an idea. It's it's always outside of what I actually do. I thought I was going to maybe go to Italy at one point in the beginning. I thought now's the time. Just go there and write these country songs. And I didn't, but maybe someday I will. Now I'm just not, I'm I'm so enthusiastic and excited about this current book, Iggy Horse Earl, but now I am so excited about a book of country songs and a book of fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Where's that impulse going? Or yeah, where, so, where does that impulse come from? Maybe? Well, the, the fiction was where I kind of started when I was in, when I was 19, 20, I was studying journalism and then essay writing and I had some great teachers and I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. I love these Joan Didion and Gore Vidal and Wendell Berry, Edward Abbey, Margaret Atwood. I was reading just an anthology and class. I just spent a lot of time. Well, that's what I wanted to do. You know, when you're young, it can be a semester or even a year and you can reinvent yourself three times, you know? And so I went from journalism to essay writing and then I landed in a great fiction class and I was reading Sherwood Anderson and Flannery O'Connor and just having my mind blown by that. And so poetry came later and, and I, and I love, I love, uh, Fiction. I mean, a lot, or, you know, pr prose writing, and actually, a lot of my poetry does lean on that. I understand that. I, I have, I borrow without even thinking about it. I am, I'm sort of doing that. I'm a, it's a hybrid. 
There's poetry and fiction and flash fiction or short stories, and and even sometimes a journalistic tone, a matter of fact, like scientific or fake science type tone that creeps into 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 poems. So I think all of that is what what ends up happening. But I really admire the, uh, a lot of people working in writing short stories and writing novels. That was poet Michael Earl Craig, author of Iggy Horse, out now from Wave Poetry. Look for more information about Earl at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You've been listening to The Right Question. This show was produced by Jake Birch and me. I'm your host, Lauren Korn. Chris Moyles engineered this episode. The artwork for The Right Question was designed by Molly Russell, and our music was written and recorded by John Floridis. Funding for The Right Question is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. Many thanks to Humanities Montana for supporting this program since 2008, and thank you for listening. The Right Question is a production of Montana Public Radio.